This is the Going in Circles podcast, hosted by Horseman Chuck Simon. To become a sponsor, to suggest topics, or for questions, email goingincirclespodcast at gmail.com. And log on to our Facebook page, Going in Circles Podcast. Here's your host, Chuck Simon. Welcome to Going in Circles. It's Monday. It's Monday night now. Before we get going on today's show, which won't be too long, I just want to remind everyone that tomorrow on blogtalkradio.com, Going in Circles Live is going to have a two-hour show from 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. We have a uh, couple guests tomorrow. We're going to have some... um, We'll take some calls where you have a, a number that you can call in and ask questions or give us your, your thoughts uh, on tomorrow's topic, which is the Triple Crown. And should we make changes to it? Is it time to modernize the Triple Crown? It's something that everyone seems to have a strong opinion on. And we have a couple guests coming on Uh our first guest will be Charlie McCarthy, who uh, <clears throat> Mr. McCarthy's worked for uh, as a journalist for for several media outlets. He works uh, for Trainer Magazine, does some writing for them. He's worked for the New York Post. He uh, has worked for Fox Sports South uh, Florida. I think I said that right, but. Um, we're going to get his view of what we should uh, consider doing or not doing. At three, we're, we have John Scheinman, who might be the single biggest proponent or uh, fan of the Preakness Stakes held in his hometown of Baltimore. John has uh, very strong feelings and a very strong opinion. Uh, what it is, I don't even know. But he will be on at three. He actually has to work for a living. So we won't have John for too long, but we will definitely get his view of the Preakness and its place where maybe we should move it. I, I don't know. Um, that's that's for tomorrow's show, but uh, the Preakness certainly would be the most influenced race if there was a, an adjustment in a Triple Crown schedule. So we'll hear from him, and like I said, we will be taking calls uh gonna if you have questions or or we want to hear everyone's opinion on on what we should do i know there's a lot of traditionalists that think that the triple crown should go back to its format of the derby in the first week uh the first saturday in may the preakness two weeks later and the belmont three weeks later um i know that some people including a lot of trainers that think that we might have a better triple crown series. It might be better for the horses have if they spread the race apart. But that's tomorrow on blogtalkradio.com. Go on and click on going for circles or going in circles. And uh, we'll talk about that tomorrow. Today, I wanted to touch on a couple things. I thought that in 30 minutes 
at Churchill Downs, we saw two horses really seize command of their divisions. With Midnight Biso winning the Fleur de Lis in a canter, and Tom's Detente winning the Stephen Foster in near stakes and track record time. Both horses ran exceptional races, and uh, you would have to say, certainly Midnight Bisu is the filly to beat in the older mares category, and Times They Top has kind of been, it seems like he's always been a cut below the very best horses, but his performance on Saturday, really, as a seven-year-old, and he is a lightly raced seven-year-old. That was only his 18th race. So he doesn't he doesn't show up much, but he shows up when he does. Uh, but he had never really shown the capacity to be at the very top of his division, but that race Saturday was, was, was really, really strong. He, he's got a a racing style of of being able to be placed close up and he just effortlessly drew away in the stretch on Saturday and uh we had a a little bit of a debate yesterday on Facebook about um the buyer figures which came back uh, pretty good for Tom Zetat and not quite as good for, for Midnight Bisu. And of course, the Midnight Bisu fans took offense. I'm not sure why people take offense to mathematical formulas because essentially buyers are, are mathematical formulas based upon the speed of the track and the final time of the race. They don't really take into consideration pace or trips or anything like that. They're, they're not like a sheet number, which is an all-encompassing taking into all the factors. They don't even take into consideration weight or anything like that. Uh, both Phillies, uh, excuse me, both the Philly Midnight Pisu and Tom Zetat carried 124 as well. It's interesting, you rarely get two horses running the same distance, carrying the same weight, winning as easily as they did um, back to back like like that that was uh, a little bit of a rarity but um it's interesting when you look at the way the races were run in that Serengeti Express set a, a rapid pace in the Florida Lee and she was coming off a race where she didn't get to the lead and just absolutely quit so Joe Talamo sent her on her way and she did get to the lead, um, but she did set fast faction, but she really had nothing. She had nothing left in the, in the stretch. And, and yes, she's probably not in Midnight Bisu's uh, class when both are on the top of their game, and I don't think Serengeti Express is on the top of her game. But... Um, Midnight Bisu made a bold move on the turn. And it might have looked a little better than it was because the leaders had run so quick and were starting to tire. So when she kicks into gear and 
she catches horses that are slowing, you're going to get a little bit more of a, a dramatic effect. But that's not to take anything away from her. And she was geared down in the stretch. Mike Smith really didn't ask her to run too much more than the last eighth, probably the last uh, three-sixteenths of a mile. She really wasn't asked for her best. Which brings up the question of how much difference can a rider make, a rider's urging make, um, to the final time of a, a race or, or to horse's speed? In there was a lot of people saying, well, yes, she ran significantly slower than the boys, but she wasn't really asked. So my question, and this has been a question that's been asked for forever, basically, is how much faster can a horse go under urging, and how much do they slow down when the rider doesn't urge them? I, I think, number one, it's probably dependent on the individual horse. And some horses are just going to run as fast as they can, as far as they can. It really doesn't matter what you do. I think that Midnight Bisu probably could have run a little bit faster. But I don't think she could have run significantly faster. I think she was running, even though he wasn't asking her to do anything, and, and she might have been decelerating a little bit. I don't think that she would have come close to the time that Tom's the top ran. And, you know, maybe maybe she'd have run a fifth of a second faster, two-fifths of a second faster. But it's hard to believe that a rider can slow a horse down more than that. That That's a lot. That's a lot. Especially for a horse that was going full speed as she hit the quarter pole. It wasn't like she wasn't going fast because... The quarter that she made the lead, she ran in 23 seconds. So she was going pretty close to 40 miles an hour. And you can slow a horse down a little bit, but I don't think you can slow him down much more than that. So her buyer was 93. Tom's buyer was 109. And he's been consistently in the low hundreds. So this was his best buyer performance and best, it, it, it's hard to imagine that you could make a case for any race that he's run in the past that was as good as this. And this was not a great field. Um, Brett Calhoun trained, um, he trained the, the two, um, or one, one of the two, the, the second choice, the very, very close second choice, um, be my standard, who's been on a, a, a roll since coming back off the layoff from uh, following his, his really uh, non-effort in the Derby. Um, but he, he was clearly second best on Saturday. He, he wasn't uh, he wasn't in Tom Detant's league. And Owendale, um, and there was one other horse that were stake winners, but this this is not... Um, this was not a, a field of of grizzled stake winning veterans. There just weren't a lot. And Owendale is is a is the classic pick up the pieces type dead 
one run closer, and he never really got got much getting gear with with the pace not really being that fast, and that they only went forty eight point one three to the half um, into Stephen Foster. So Owendale really had no chance, but. Um, I think it's it's funny in in horse racing that people get to be fans of horses and they defend them to the to the death. I mean, it's crazy. Um, I mean, the Zenyatta people were insane when he kept saying, hey, you know, she's beating the same old slow fillies in California on a synthetic track. You know, she's a great horse and all, but she's not one of the best horses of all time. And unless she proves it, which she never actually did. I just can't consider her that kind of horse. I think Midnight Beast was a really good horse. She was seven for eight last year. Um, I'll I give her connections props in, in a world where billionaires are chicken shit and want to partner up with people and they all want to have the same couple trainers and essentially they want to play the games on cheat mode. That doesn't mean they're cheating. It just means like if you play video games... There's codes, you punch them in, and your player is much better. Well, that's kind of what they want to do. But I'll give Midnight Beast's Connections credit, and, and they took a shot. Now, albeit $20 million raise, it's it's not like uh, it's hard to take a shot in a $20 million race, but they could have gone the, the conservative route and, and followed the pattern uh, of races that they did last year and um, you know came through Oak Lawn and and uh, into this race and, you know, some of the races at Saratoga and New York. Uh, but they did. They, they took a shot against the boys and we were, they were rewarded. The, their horse ran second to maximum security in, in a huge effort by her. Um, we all know what's happened with maximum security. Um, but, uh, you know, there's always that thought that going over to Dubai will cause your horse to regress or, or take a long time to come back. But uh, obviously she came back on top of her game. Uh, Steve Asmussen is a pro. He knows he knows how to how to bring these horses up to these races in the condition that they need to be. And, and she certainly was, was sharp. Uh, and I don't think that we should take too much of the speed figure because, as I said, the pace was... Fast and it was a good setup. I mean, let's 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 be honest. I, I saw somebody on Twitter trying to say it wasn't a good setup, and I was thinking to myself, this guy needs to inherit money and bet more because if he didn't think that a horse like Serengeti setting real fast fractions and quitting wasn't a good setup, I, I don't know what 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 would be a good setup for a horse like her. But but it's interesting though uh, that the people get so hyped up on horses and, and become these fans where they just want to debate you over everything. It's interesting, like, buyer speed figures are basically a mathematical formula. It's not it's not the person's opinion of what the number should be. It, it's based upon what the horse did on the track, the numbers. And yes, they adjust them up and down based upon evidence that a track was speeding up or slowing down or maybe it rained halfway through the meet of the card or whatever but these two races were run literally 30 minutes apart so it's tough to say the track really had changed 
because it was pretty quick early in the day and to say a track was got slower for one race and got faster again it's it's, it's kind of hard to we don't we don't we're not going to go for that but um you know you think about like the NFL draft every time they have the draft there's these immediate now nowadays they're immediate grades they grade the pick oh this guy was a great pick oh this guy was a bad pick blah 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 and then a couple days after the draft you'll see the writers they they give their opinions on what the what the local team did oh we we're going to give them a b or we're going to give them an a they did great and then you look through the the list of all the teams and 20 of them get a's Couple get an A pluses, couple get A minuses, then there's a B or so, and then there's always a couple teams that they give a D to because they took some guy that might have been injured or no one liked the pick or was controversial or you shouldn't have done this, blah blah blah. You look back five years later, and of course those are just opinions. These they're making opinions on a draft pick on, on a guy that's never never played a minute of professional football. And you look back five years later, and you find that most of the drafts probably should have been C's. And there was a couple A's, and a couple B's, and a couple D's, and a couple S's. But the majority are right there in the middle. They, they had some hits, they had some misses. But that's a people's opinion. That's their opinion. That's what people think. Well, oh, this guy's going to be good, and this guy's going to be good. Well, in racing, the beauty of racing always has been, like, let's settle this on the track. Your horse is faster, my horse is faster than yours. If you think yours is faster than mine, put him in the gate and we'll run him and we'll see who wins. Sadly, that doesn't happen as much as it should because uh, of bloodstock. The bloodstock business. I mean, let's call a spade a spade. The bloodstock business has as shit all over the racing business. And it has for a long time. And I'm not naive enough to not understand that there's a lot of money in the game that wouldn't be there if these owners didn't have a chance to find these lottery tickets, which a stallion can be. Or a really, really, really great mare of Midnight Bisu can be. But... The thing that really bothers me, and it's really hurt the business. It's hurt racing. And, yeah, the sales and the breeding, and that, that, that's part of racing. But it's hurt racing in that you have so many hands out, so many agents, so many farms, so many... Everybody wants a piece of the action. Everybody wants... That horse to win that grade one. Get that grade one win, and then, then it's all gravy. It's all gravy from there. And that is just not conducive for good racing. We've made the Breeders' Cup into the end-all of end-alls. The Derby is the end-all of end-all for three-year-old dirt colts that can go two turns. And... Like I said, tomorrow we'll talk about the Triple Crown and, and, and should there be changes or should we go back to the traditional format. But there's no doubt, and, and it's been shown in the way a lot of horses have been handled this spring and into the summer, that the Derby is the race everyone's pointing for. 
That takes nothing away from Tis the Law's Belmont. Tis the Law was tremendous. But the Derby is the race that everybody wants to win. And that's not degrading any other race. But the Derby is the big race. And now what we've done with the Breeders' Cup is we made all the other divisions, except for the three-year-old dirt males, focus on the weekend of the Breeders' Cup. And there's nothing wrong with having championship events. The Breeders' Cup was a great idea. The problem is it it's taken away from everything else. And... Don't get me wrong. Seeing great horses perform, it's a privilege and it's nice. It's something that is not, it's actually the sport of racing is when you're you're at the top of the heap and you're watching the very best horses compete. Because we see the best riders compete daily, the best trainers compete daily. But the best, best horses, they don't compete very much. Especially nowadays. And it's a shame. Because. We need great racing. We need. The racing. To be what we sell. Not just the betting. The betting is great. And and you know. You listen to me. And you know there's no bigger proponent. Of. This business has got to do more for the people providing the revenue, which is the betters. They've got to provide a better product on a day-to-day basis. But we've also got to make sure that our big events don't become exhibitions. That they're not layups. That we don't have one to five shots all the time. New York has a problem. They don't want to admit it. At least publicly. But they're really struggling. And I understand the COVID and guys are in Kentucky and this and that. And, you know, there's always changes. But I think Saratoga is going to struggle compared to Saratoga. And yes, we have the COVID issue. And there are trainers that are, um, you know, been hampered. The Kentucky running... Keeneland and Churchill running uh, Kentucky, you know, having Keeneland having a July meet, which is before Saratoga, but a lot of the horses that are running in that July meet are going to be horses that probably would have run at Saratoga at least the first few weeks. And then Churchill having the Derby the first week in September and having that meet backed up to Saratoga with all the issues of shipping, of no fans, no perhaps no owners being allowed at Saratoga, I think we're gonna see a. I think we're gonna see a a meet that. That. Um, maybe not, what we usually see, and that that's not. I'm not trying to be negative. I'm just trying to be. What I'm trying to say is. I hope we don't get a bunch of five-horse stake races with two hopeless horses, with three horses trained by the same guy. Because if our best races become 
exhibitions, then it's just not the same. I love the Home Run Derby. The Home Run Derby is an awesome event. If you've ever been, it's really, a, it's a fun night. It goes quick. It, it's kind of a, it builds up to a, a conclusion and it's really a fun night. But if they had Home Run Derby every weekend, it, it would lose every, it would lose all its luster. It just wouldn't be that interesting. And that's the problem we have at, at the top end of racing now. And it's going to get worse. It's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. As the consolidation continues, and the owners, the billionaires, billionaires joining up, I, I, if I was a billionaire, you couldn't pay me enough money to bring a partner in on a horse. I'm going to listen to this guy now. I'm going to do what I want with my own horse. You're a billionaire. What's the point of being a freaking billionaire if, if you got to be partners with somebody? I don't want to be partners. And, you know, all the people I've been partners with over the years, nothing against you. I liked you. You were good partners, except for a couple of you were pain in the ass. But most people do partnerships out of necessity. I'll be honest. The one thing in this business that surprised me the most the absolute most, because I saw super trainers coming. I could tell. I, I was at a sale in 2005, and I had a lot of money to spend. And I couldn't spend it the first couple of days, because every single freaking horse I liked was bought by one of Todd Pletcher's owners. And I said to myself, man, what kind of barn is this guy going to have? And he's my friend, and I like Todd. I've known Todd forever. And it turned out to be true. He had an unbelievable couple years following that. But you could see that coming. But I never saw, I never saw billionaires teaming up. That still to this day blows my mind. Because when you really think about how much money a, a billionaire has... The amount of money you're spending on horses... It's really, it's really not very much compared to what you, you have. Especially when you talk about people like me who buy horses and I'm spending a third of my net worth <laughs> on a horse, on one horse. You know, there are no $300 million horses. But um, we've, we've, we've seen... And this is not a new topic. I mean, believe I'm not. I'm not shedding any new light on things here. But we gonna we have to do something about. There has to be changes made in this business. And so many people. Want to talk about, well, it's always been this way, or people's rights, or blah 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 blah. Racing is not doing great. There's no freaking competition. There's no sports. There's no gambling. Everything's closing down again. Yeah, handles up at certain tracks. Because there's nothing to... There's no competition. 
Finer Park did four million one day. It wasn't because anything Finer Park did wonderful. They just happened to be open. And there was no one else open. That's the whole point. Is that we have to stop thinking we're doing good. We're not doing good. We're doing bad. The biggest problem in to fix... There's no fixing, I guess. You can't really say you can fix this business. You can't fix horse racing. This bullshit idea of a commissioner. Get the fuck out of here with the commissioner shit. Come on. We can't even get tracks to run, coordinate post times or stake schedules. And we're going to get a national commission and Churchill Downs is going to cede power and the state racing commissions are going to cede power. Like, come on. What fantasy land is that? never going to happen it's ridiculous to waste a breath to talk about but this this isn't I'm going to have a couple guys on in the future if I can get them to come on and they're they're sharp guys and you can find them on Twitter they break the numbers down and I'll be honest, racing needs to hire people like this and listen to them. Because there's a glass ceiling that we're not breaking through, even though there's no competition out there. And as field sizes start to shrink, handle shrinks, we know what the problems are. I know I kind of went off on a little rant there, but but at least, hey, I'm not talking about, uh, you know, all the other topics of the day. But it's frustrating. It's very frustrating because it was funny. Someone wrote something about Chris DiCarlo on Twitter about you know, how it must be tough to be a kid growing up in these times. And someone said, you know, kids are pretty resilient. They handle it pretty good. And the truth of the matter is kids don't know anything else. This is this is their world. Chris is, is similar in age to me. And, and yeah, we look at our childhood and what we had growing up versus now. So we have a comparison we can look at the chaos that 2020 has brought to everyone's lives and compare it to where we were when we were 18, where chaos wasn't the rule. In racing, it's the same. And the, sh- the shame is that you can look back at things that worked and successful what was successful and and why they were successful. And yet, nobody wants to do that. They just want to do stupid stuff like, oh, we're going to change the whip rules and we're going to, you know, change, get rid of Lasix. None of that's going to help. It's not going to make this big game better. 
It's something that rich people can go to a cocktail party and now say, oh, well, yeah, you know, we're humane and we care about the horses and blah, 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 blah. No one's going to bet more money because of those two things. No one's going to buy horses because of those two things. If you're not buying horses or you're not betting races, then why, why would you do... It's just the same old, same old. And uh, I'm kind of hungry, so I'm going to pull up before I say things that will get me in trouble. But I'm going to have a salad tonight. <laughs> Maybe two. But um, tomorrow, 2 to 4, blogtalkradio.com, we're going to debate. Should we fix the Triple Crown? Or should we leave it alone? Tomorrow from 2 to 4, Blog Talk Radio. The show will be replayed. There will be links to it. It's not like you can't listen later if you have to, you know, you have a job and you have to work or something like that. But if you do want to call in, feel free. And we will be giving you the number. Uh, Casey will line you up. And he'll block you if you're someone that we don't want to talk to. Just kidding. But, um... Yeah, two hours tomorrow. Check it out.